Pilots of the Purple Twilight In the space of three generations, flight has flooded and ebbed from the world's imagination. Aeroplanes are part of the backdrop of life, and travelling in them has become mundane and usually tedious. Yet a hundred years ago, the sight of a rickety contraption of wire and canvas fluttering and swooping above the fields with a strangely clad figure perched precariously inside was guaranteed to create great, even wild, excitement. In June 1910, only twenty months after the first aeroplane made a paltry 450-yard hop over British soil, Flight magazine reported that it is becoming the fashion to consider any open-air function quite incomplete unless there's an exhibition of flying to give tone to it. The editorial was commenting on an incident that had taken place a few days before. At an agricultural show in the city of Worcester, a Blériot monoplane ran amok. At the controls was Mr. Ernest Dartigan. He was assistant to a Captain Clayton, who had been due to give a series of spectacular flights, but had injured himself in a crash the previous day. Rather than disappoint the 14,000 people gathered at the showground, Dartigan had rolled the Blériot out to taxi up and down on the grass. The results were disastrous. Dartigan quickly lost control, and the aeroplane charged into the crowd, killing a woman and injuring several others. At the subsequent inquest, Clayton admitted that he was not a captain at all, but had adopted the title for business purposes. Neither he nor Dartigan possessed a certificate of competence from the Royal Aero Club. The pseudo-aviator did not shoulder the blame alone, however. A Worcestershire County Council official who witnessed the accident told the court that the conduct of the crowd was foolhardy in the extreme. They insisted upon crowding around the aeroplane and badly hampered the movements of the man who was in control, in spite of the efforts of police and officials to keep them back. This little tragedy tells us quite a lot about those early days. It reveals the ad hoc nature of primitive aviation, glorious or foolhardy, according to your point of view. Everything was necessarily innovatory and improvised. Captain Clayton might have crocked himself in a prang, but the show went on nonetheless. The pressure that Dartigan felt to perform is also revealing. He seems to have considered himself duty-bound to give the crowds what they came for. One suspects he also saw an opportunity to indulge his own fantasies. With Clayton indisposed, a splendid opportunity arose for his assistant to shine. From the outset, aviation was in the hands of those with a tendency to show off, frequently with the same sad results as on this occasion. And then there is the woman, whose eagerness to get close to the action proved fatal. There were many more like her in the crowd. Photographs of early displays show broad-brimmed bonnets scattered abundantly among the flat hats and homburgs. Women did not want to just watch what was happening, they were eager to take part. Almost from the beginning, adventurous females were clamouring to go up, despite the obvious dangers, first as passengers, then as pilots. At the same time as the Worcester Air Show, the first flying school was opening its doors at Brooklyn's motor racing circuit in Weybridge, Surrey. Mrs. Hilda Hewlett, 
a 46-year-old mother of two, who was the first woman to gain a Royal Aero Club certificate, co-owned it with her French lover. What was it that drew the crowds? In part, they'd come to witness what was manifestly a great step forward in the history of mankind. The skeletal monoplanes and biplanes, constructed from homely materials of wood, canvas, and wire, had realized the ancient human dream of defying gravity. They were oddly beautiful, and the men who flew them seemed to earthbound mortals like elevated beings. The spectators also enjoyed the frisson of danger. Newspapers, then as now eager to create alarm, presented flying as a suicidal activity. Some claimed that the crowds went to air shows in the base hope that someone would come a cropper. The chances were high. Early aviators showed an almost insane disregard for risk.